This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join in in welcoming everybody here this morning. I'm glad that you can make it with us so we could study another portion of God's Word together. We're going to be taking the, the scripture from a lesson from Matthew chapter 7. If you want to go ahead and turn over there, I will have the verses on the screen behind me. Uh, while you're turning there, I'd just like to say I appreciate the prayers on my behalf. And it's my prayer that the things that we study will be in strict accordance to God's Word. And it will be useful to you and applicable as we continue our Christian walk together. That you'll find something that you can take. And I, I pray that the lesson is encouraging to you. And that you'll be able to apply it as we walk, we walk together. For a little while this morning, I want to talk about bewaring of false prophets. This comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, where Jesus says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So this is Jesus, and He's talking to the disciples at that time, and as an extension, He's talking to us as well, to beware of false prophets. And when you look up that word, false prophets, you can look at the Thayer's Dictionary. It's the Greek word 5578 which means one who, acting the part of a divinely inspired prophet, utters falsehoods under the name of divine prophets. So we can see that the definition of a false prophet is just what we know to be a false prophet. It could also be called a false teacher. It's someone who teaches something against the Scriptures. Now this could be someone doing it intentionally, trying to lead people away from the Word of God. It also could be someone who does it unintentionally. They don't mean to but they're still teaching something that is against the Scriptures. That is the definition and what we have for this morning as a false prophet or a false teacher. What we realize as Christians today is false, pro false prophets are nothing new. Uh, we've had them mentioned several times in the Old Testament, so we're going to look at a couple of those. Uh, and unfortunately for us, they're not going away. False prophets are never going to go away. It's going to be something that we deal with for the rest of their life, whether they're teachers that are just teaching something against what the Scriptures say. And that could be intentionally or it could be unintentionally. So we're going to look at some examples of both kinds of an intentional false prophet, and we'll look at some examples of an unintentional false prophet. Uh, we're going to look at, for a little while, different characteristics that we see the Bible teaches us that would be a red flag for us as Christians of a characteristic of a false prophet that should cause an alarm. It should cause us to pause for a minute and to evaluate what that person is teaching. Uh, and then finally, we're going to end the lesson with what are we supposed to do about it today? So as Christians, especially in the Bible belts of America, you can see there's many different teachings. There's many different congregations. There's many different beliefs. There's many different religions, many different styles of teachings. There's a lot of different things that we have uh, in America of different ways that people teach. Some people teach that it is true to follow after God. Some people teach that there's not just one God, there's many gods. There's all these different things that people teach. A lot of the teachings that we hear, uh, either here from here, uh, either that we hear on the radio or on TV or different news network, a lot of the teachings can sound really good. They're really crafty with their words. They sound like they, we would want to believe them. But the question is, are they true? And then the second question is, should we believe them? And that's what we're going to study about for a little while this morning. So we have to make sure as Christians that we are not being led astray by false prophets. There's a lot of dangers to be led astray by false prophets. And we see that from the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 13, where we see this young man that he was sent from God the, the setting of the time is 
the Israelites were scattered at that time, and some Israelites were living in Jerusalem, and some were living in other places, and they were worshiping God in ways that God had not commanded. So this young man was sent by God to go up to the king and to teach them to get them back on track to follow after, after what they did. So the young prophet, uh, he went and he was teaching the Israelites to follow back after God and to go to worship according to what he was supposed to. And, and the people liked his teachings. They followed him and they listened to him and they uh, since repented and followed back after God. The king was very pleased that this young prophet was, uh, came up to him and taught him. So if you look in 1 Kings chapter 13, we're going to pick up in verse 7. 1 Kings chapter 13 and verse 7, it says, And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. So the king was very pleased with this young prophet, and all he wanted to do was serve him. He said, Come home with me. Let me feed you, rest, get ready for your trip back home. But God had already told this young prophet, Don't go into anybody's house. Basically, he put him on a mission. The mission was to go from Judah up to Bethel to teach these people to follow back after God and then get back home. It's very clear mission. Go up there, come back home, and when you come back home, go a different way than what you came. And that's what the young prophet told the king. He even told the king, if you give me half your house, now think about this at the time. This is the king. Probably had a lot of great possessions, a lot of great things, but the young prophet knew the severity of not obeying God's word. He said, if you will give me half your house, I'm not going to go do it. I'm not going to go eat bread. I'm not going to go refresh myself. I'm going to do what God said and get back home to Judah. So the king honored him in that. So, so the young prophet, he started to go back home. Next, let's continue in verse 18. Then he runs into another man, and the other man was also very pleased with the young prophet, saying in verse 18, this older man, he said unto him, I am a prophet also, as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee unto thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house, and he drank water. So now you have this older man who is a prophet, and he says, Well, I'm a prophet just like you are, and an angel told me to bring you back so you can rest, and so you can, you can be refreshed for your journey back home, back home. So he lied to him. Now here's one thing that we don't know about this older prophet. We don't know his true intentions. We don't know if he was sincere about saying that he just wanted to serve him and help him uh, to, to go back with him and eat bread, or we don't know if he was intentionally trying to lead this young prophet astray. Regardless, he lied to him. And the young prophet believed it. So the young prophet believed this lie, and he went back with him. He did eat bread and, and in his house, and he drank water. So now when we continue on, you go to verse 23 through 26, and it says, And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, talking about the young prophet, that he saddled for him the ass to whip for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him in a way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told him in the city where the old prophet dwelt. 
And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord had delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him, according to the word of the Lord which he spake unto him. So now you have this young prophet. He goes back and he gets back on his journey to go back and return home to Judah. And he's killed by a lion. God told the old prophet that's what was going to happen. When they were eating bread at the old prophet's house, the Lord spoke to the old prophet and said, because the young prophet had done this thing, he was disobedient to my word, he's going to die when he returns back to Judah. And that's exactly what happened. Now still, we don't really know why the old prophet did it, but the point is he did it. He lied to the young prophet. The young prophet then, he was the one who was disobedient to God's word. The young prophet was the one who, was, who believed the lie, and the young prophet was the one who paid the consequences of we don't see anything else of anything that happened to the old prophet, the one who told who was the false prophet, who lied to him. We don't see anything on that. We do see that the young prophet, the one who was disobedient, he's the one who had to pay for his own actions. He's the one who believed a lie, and he's the one who, who paid the consequences thereof. So what we can see from this example is we have to be careful of following false prophecies, following false teachings. We have to be watchful that we aren't led astray and ultimately face a spiritual death because of our own disobedience. It doesn't matter what that, that teacher told us. It matters what God told us. And it matters that we are not disobedient to God's Word over all things. Jesus warned us several times in the New Testament also to watch out for these prophets. We read one in Matthew chapter 7. There's a lot of other verses that tells us to watch out for these false teachers because they will lead you astray. We have to watch out for these so how do we know? There's so many different teachings out there. How do we know who's a false prophet, who's teaching against God's Word, versus who's teaching with God's Word? Well, Jesus taught that everything that we have, every teaching is going to originate from one of two sources. It's either going to come from God, from heaven, or it's going to come from men. That's the only two sources that it can come from. He said that in Mark chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. It says, And they say unto him, the scribes and the Pharisees, By what authority... Do you do these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, I will ask of you one question and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. So Jesus clearly illustrates that there's only two sources that teachings can come from. It's either from heaven, it comes from God, or it's from men. If it doesn't come from God, it's automatically coming from men, and we should not receive it. If it comes from God, it's truly God's Word, and we know that to be true, so we should follow it. Now, there are some people today that will say that there's still new prophecies, there's new revelations that God is revealing to certain men in order to teach us. That's not written in His Word yet. Some people will say that there's still new things that are coming about, but we know that not to be true. Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he was talking about spiritual gifts, miraculous gifts. One of them he was talking about was the miraculous gifts of prophecy and knowledge and teaching. That was a miraculous gift that they had in the first century church. And he was teaching us in 1 Corinthians 13 that those would be done away with. And let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8 through 10. Charity or love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. 
for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. So what Paul is addressing at that time, when you think about the context, Paul is still revealing New Testament teachings inspired by the Holy Spirit. At that time, he's saying this. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he's writing this to the church at Corinth. And he's saying that we prophesy in part, meaning we get pieces at a time and we deliver those pieces at a time as we get them from the Holy Spirit. And we have knowledge in part, but that knowledge is going to go away. The bits and pieces of knowledge will cease. The bits and pieces of prophecies will cease. And he tells us here right there, when will those things cease? When will the new prophecies, the new revelations, the new teachings, when are those things going to end? He says they're going to end when that which is perfect, and that word perfect means complete, when that which is perfect or complete is come. What he's talking about is the complete New Testament that we have today. When the complete New Testament, the Word of God, when it is fulfilled, it is complete, and we have all those scriptures, we don't need any more prophecies. We don't need any more knowledge in part. We don't need any more teachings in part because we have the whole. We have the complete. So there's some people today that say that there's still new teachings out there that haven't been revealed in scriptures, but we know that not to be true because the the New Testament is full. It's complete. It's everything that we need. So with these two verses, we can see everything is either going to originate from heaven or from men. And the New Testament is everything that we need to test against those scriptures to see if it came from heaven or if it came from men. So we know whether prophecies and and teachers are true if it lines up according with God's scriptures or if it doesn't. If it lines up with God's scriptures, it's true and it's from God. If it does not line up with God's scriptures, it is not true, and it's from men, and as such, we should reject it. So what are some of these teachings that many people believe today? I'm going to look at three different examples of false teachers that we see that millions of people follow this and they listen to. The first one is a woman by the name of Oprah Winfrey. Now, you've heard of Oprah. She has many different TV shows. She has her own TV network. She has a lot of books. She has a lot of teachings. Here's one thing that she says is we are not servants of some God. We are our own gods. That's what she teaches. That we are not servants of some God, as she would put it. We are our own gods. I want you to think about this for a second. Think, put, put yourself in a, a human fleshly situation, not not. Christian, not thinking spiritually, but put yourself as a human, fleshly person. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I'm my own God. I can do whatever I want to go do. I don't have to serve anybody else. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm my own God, and I can do whatever I want to do. That sounds good, doesn't it? Well, millions of people agree, and millions of people will follow this, and they do say it sounds good. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, it says, But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. The Bible clearly says, yes, there is one God, and we serve that one God. We were created by that one God. We are made whole by that one God. Yes, there is one God. Millions of people will believe this false prophet, this false teacher. Let's look at another example. Next example, Joel Osteen. 
He teaches what many people have labeled as the prosperity gospel. And here's one thing that he says. God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny that He has laid out for us. You can look at other parts of His teachings that's, that's strongly related to this. Well, He'll say the more godly you are, the more things that you're doing that God wants you to do, the more blessed financially you will become. Well, the inverse is true also. If you are not being blessed financially, if you are having hard times, if, if you're hard on your luck or however you want to call it, that must mean you're not following God the way that He wants you to follow. That's the prosperity gospel in a nutshell. What does the Bible say about the prosperity gospel? Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Not financial prosperity. Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us that this world is not our eternal home. This world is not everything that we're striving to be. We're going to have hard times in this world. It's going to happen. Jesus never promises us that we will be blessed financially. Did He promise us that we would be blessed? Of course, eternally. He promised us that we will have a lot of eternal riches, eternal blessings, not earthly financial blessings, as Joel Osteen teaches. There's millions of people that follow this false prophet, but we can clearly see when we test it against the Scriptures, it's not true. That did not come from God, it came from man. And as such, we should reject it. Now the third one is one that's probably not quite as common. And this is with preacher, he used to be over in Tulsa. I'm not sure if he's still there or not, but his name is Carlton Pearson. Carlton Pearson is a teacher. He goes by Dr. Carlton Pearson. And here's a quote that he says. It says, The bitter torment of the idea of an angry, visceral, distant, stoic, harsh, unrelenting, unforgiving, intolerant God is hell. It's pagan. It's superstitious. And if you trace its history, it goes back to where men feared gods because something happened in life that caused frustration that they couldn't explain. What Dr. Pearson is saying is that hell is not real. He says that this idea of an intolerant God with all these harsh things to go in, it's hell. It's pagan. It's superstition. He's saying that hell is not real. All these teachings that we have about hell doesn't exist. And the reason why he says this is because he really struggled with past family members who chose not to follow after God that passed away. A lot of us have been in that same position, haven't we? Well, we have past family members who have, have passed on from this life. They chose not to follow after God. Sometimes that's really hard for us to come to terms with. And with the idea that they might be in hell. That's hard for us to really understand. Well, he struggled with that too. So his conclusion is there's not any hell. I can't serve a God that would say that. God would not punish these people in hell. He specifically said, I can't serve a God who would punish my grandmother in hell, is what he said. Here's another quote. He said, we may go through hell, but nobody goes to hell. That's what he teaches. There's no such thing as hell. Now remember, let's put, put back on our earthly desires for a second. That sounds good, doesn't it? No such thing as punishment, eternal punishment. There's no such thing as if we mess up or if we don't follow what, what God wants us to follow that we're going to be punished. That sounds good. What does the Bible say? Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus said, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, 
you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Also in verse 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Jesus is talking about the judgment day where we know that some are going to enter in into eternal life and others, unfortunately, are going to go away into everlasting punishment. The Bible teaches, yes, there is a hell. Yes, there, it, it is real. And yes, it is something that we need to watch out that we're not going there. There is repercussions for not obeying God's word. Dr. Pearson likes to teach otherwise. That is a false teaching. That's an example. So we looked at three different examples of what men teach that obviously did not come from God. And it came from men. And as such, we should reject it. So the next section I want to look at are what are some biblical characteristics that we see of a false prophet. These should be some things that when you see these, it should cause you to pause. It should raise a huge red flag in your eyes as a Christian and say, let me investigate that further. What we have to be careful of is when we hear a teacher, any teacher, that we're not just taking what they say hook, line, and sinker. That when we're watching the Oprah show when she says something, we're our own gods. We don't just take that and say, oh, we're our own gods. No, let's raise a red flag in our eyes and let's make sure that we're testing it against the Scriptures. So let's look at these biblical characteristics. Number one, preaching another gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, it says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there will be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel of heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, and he's telling him that they're, they're being pulled away by following after these other gospels or gospels that's being changed. There's some gospels that teach that Jesus was never resurrected. There's some people that will go out and they'll teach these things that, yeah, Jesus was a prophet, he lived good things, he taught good teachings, but he was never resurrected. He's not the true Son of God. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, and also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which, also, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now remember, this is inspired writings from the Holy Spirit through the hand of Paul. And he says that Christ was he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Some people will teach another gospel that Jesus never rose again. The Holy Spirit said he did. And that is the foundation, that is the gospel that we have as Christians today, that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If He didn't rise, then what are we doing here? Christ did rise from the dead, and it is the gospel that we have. So a red flag is if someone teaches that Christ didn't rise from the dead, that should be a red flag for us. We know that is not according to God's Word. Another way, more common example is yes, Christ did rise from the dead, but there's really nothing we need to do about it. Well, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 6, it says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, and the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So some people will teach that baptism is not necessary, and it has no bearing, and it has no uh, relation to the gospel of Christ. Paul is writing to the church at Rome here, remember, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's telling him, yes, there is a huge connection between baptism and the gospel of Christ. And he lays it out. And to clarify it even further, go down to verse 17. It says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. How you obey the gospel, how you obey that doctrine is baptism that he just addressed. You're baptized into his death, buried with him, and you're raised up just as Christ was raised up. So the first characteristic that we see is if anybody teaches a different gospel than what we have should be a red flag for us. The second one would be around their attitude, like a lack of humility. A lack of someone's humility could be a red flag that we may need to investigate this a little bit further. So there's two examples we're going to look at. The first one is Apollos. Apollos was a false teacher. It was unintentional, but he was a false teacher. Let's look at that. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. It says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So this man, Apollos, he was teaching false teachings. He didn't have a full understanding. He only taught about the baptism of John. At this time, we don't have the baptism of John anymore. We have the baptism of Christ. And he didn't teach that because he didn't know that. Now, it was unintentionally that he was a false teacher, but still yet, he was a false teacher. So Aquila and Priscilla, they took him aside privately, and they expounded upon him more perfectly, meaning they taught him more of what he should learn specifically the baptism of Christ, not the baptism of John anymore. Now, it's evident that he had humility, was willing to lay aside and admit he was wrong. He was not going to teach that anymore. And then he was going to go teach his new understanding of what the Scripture says. And that's evident because in verse 27, that then when he left, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. The brethren would not have written to receive Apollos if he was still going to be teaching false teachings. So this false teacher, who's now no longer a false teacher, showed a lot of humility and put his pride to the side and just taught what the Scriptures say. So as soon as he learned, he taught it. Now let's look at a contrast to that. Another false teacher that we have that chose not to have humility. And that's when Jesus was addressing the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew chapters 25 and 26. When you look at that, and, and that's when you see that Jesus was addressing them. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He called them vipers. He called them people leading other people astray. He called them the blind leading the blind. He was addressing them, and he was telling them, 
you're doing these things that are wrong. He was doing like what Aquila and Priscilla was doing by trying to teach them more perfectly and more clearly. But let's look at their response. Matthew chapter 26, verse 3 through 4, it says, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they may, might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. Their response was not, thank you for teaching me and helping me understand so I can go teach the scriptures. Their response is, let's find a way to kill him. So you can see that that's very evident that they had a lack of humility, which for us as Christians today should be a huge red flag. If you find someone teaching to be teaching something not according to the gospel, and you show them the gospel, you show them the, the teachings that they should teach, if they refuse to accept it and continually teach what they're going to teach, that's a red flag of a false teacher. That's not willing to change. Number three, bitter envying and strife. You look at James chapter 3, verse 13. This is also talking about someone's attitude. It says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So here we can see bitter envying and strife. If someone has bitter envying and strife in their hearts, bitter envying means jealousy, but going in a, in a bad way, in a harsh way. And strife is striving, fighting, causing arguments. So we've seen people like this, whether it's locally, whether it's nationally, on television or radio shows, whatever. You can see people's attitude with bitter envying and strife, and you know the kind of people we're talking about. In the book of James, where does it say that that person's wisdom comes from? It's not from above. It's not from God. There's only one other source, and it says it here too. It is earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. So if you see a teacher with bitter envying and strife in, your, in his heart, if you see someone causing arguments, causing divisions, causing fightings, all these things, that's a clear example of his wisdom is not from God, or his attitude needs to change. So that's the, the third one that we have. Number four, changing their teaching to please men. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9 and 10, it says that this is a rebellious people, Lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, but speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. In the book of Isaiah, this is God writing to us here, and He's saying that there's always going to be people who don't want to hear the truth. Don't tell us right things, prophesy deceits. Tell us things that we want to hear. Conversely with that, there's always going to be teachers willing to satisfy that need and that, that desire. There's always going to be teachers that say, I'll tell you what you want to hear. And they're willing to change their teachings so that they can have more people follow them for whatever reason. There's multiple reasons. But there are teachers like that. Now let's contrast that 
with Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's what Paul said. He says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. What Paul is saying is we taught the gospel, and we stood upon the word of God. We knew that it was going to cause contentions, and it was going to cause people to not like us. It was going to cause harm. It was going to cause tribulation. And we didn't care because we're not trying to please you, the church at, at Corinth. We're not trying to please other men. We're not trying to please the Jews. We're not trying to please the Gentiles. We're trying to please God. And that's what we're going to do. So a true teacher of God's word will not change their teaching to please men. But God's people will teach what God's word says. So as a red flag, if you see a false teacher, if you see a teacher continually changing what they're teaching, they're changing a little bit of their phrase or what you need to do just to please men, that should be a big red flag for you. That that teaching is probably not from God. You should investigate it further. The next one we see is using crafty words of deceit. In Romans 16, verse 17 and 18, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So an example that we see and, and a, a characteristic that we see of a false teacher would be someone who uses these good words and fair speeches in order to deceive other people. And we see it all the time. They change their words, very subtle, very crafty in what they say. They can actually use Scripture and twist it slightly to have it mean another thing. Remember, the devil did the same thing with Jesus, didn't he? Remember when he was tempting him on the mountain? The devil used the, the Word of God, but he twisted it a little. Very crafty in what he does. And false teachers can do the same thing today. If you look in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So here's another thing that people can use is philosophy and vain deceit. So they can teach more tradition. This is tradition that we should follow. It's not about following God's words, it's about following these traditions of men. It's about following the rudiments of the world, not about following after Christ. This should be a red flag for us. If they're teaching these things, it should cause us to pause and to think and to investigate, to test against the Scriptures to see whether or not it's true. The next one we'll look at is unruly or empty talkers. In the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. 
many things in here in, in these couple verses. Number one, unruly. Those are going to be the ones that can't be controlled. They're going to follow after their own ways. They're not going to follow after any type of authority or anything that God set in place. They're doing what they want to do. They're unruly. The second thing, vain talkers. That means an empty talker. When you really look up that word vain, it means nonsense. They're talking nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. But they're vain talkers and deceivers. They're doing this to deceive other people. And then it talks about that they subvert whole houses there in verse 11. False prophets know and the devil knows if he can ruin families, he can ruin the church. And that's what he targets. They look to how can we destroy families? How can we put families against each other? How can we get them off track and keep them from going to church, keep them from serving God in the way that he'll do? They teach things they ought not. They have no business on teaching some things that they teach. That's a false teacher. And what do they do it for? For filthy lucre's sake. That word lucre means monetary gain or physical possession. They're doing it to grow their own self. Remember in Romans chapter 16, it says they're serving their own belly. It's all for themselves. It's not about growing the kingdom. It's about growing their own personal kingdom, not God's kingdom, right? So this is another example that we see in a characteristic of false teachers, and it should get you to cause and pause and think, which brings us to the next one. Another characteristic is selling things for personal gain. There's a lot of people out there to do this. Selling things in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. But it should cause you to pause and think, is this person truly teaching God's Word? In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1-3, through 3, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. There in verse 3 it says, With feigned words they make merchandise of you, meaning with crafty words of deceit, they're using these things that they make merchandise of you. They want to sell you. Make merchandise means to sell you. They want you to go buy their things. A couple of things we need to remember is we have the complete Word of God. In the New Testament, we have everything that we need. So if what they're writing, these books, these classes, these courses, these movies, whatever it is, if it's in the Word of God already, we don't need it. There's no need to buy it. You already have a Bible, don't you? It's free on your phone. You don't need it if it's already in the Word of God. If it's not in the Word of God, we should reject it. So there's no need to buy all these things that people are selling. It should cause us to raise a red flag in our head and figure out why are they selling these things for personal gain. Is it to honor God and grow His kingdom? Or is it to honor themselves and grow their own personal kingdom? So we have to be careful of these. These could be a characteristic. The last one we'll look at is they don't demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. Going back to what the scripture we started with, Matthew 7, verse 15 and 16, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. He continues, says, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? You will know a false prophet by his fruits or the lack thereof. Showing a lack of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, peace, long-suffering, it's gentleness, it's goodness, 
faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. These are the fruits of the Spirit that we have in Galatians chapter 5. And a false teacher won't demonstrate these fruits of the Spirit. And that should raise a red flag for us to get us to stop and think. The whole purpose of this lesson is to help you understand that there are false teachers out there among us. They're all over us. There's false teachers all over the place, and they're teaching things that are not according to God's Word. And instead of taking teachings hook, line, and sinker for everything that they're saying, we pause, we stop, and we think, and we test against the Scriptures. So these biblical characteristics of the false prophets, let's recap those. Number one, teaching a different doctrine or a different gospel. Number two, a lack of humility. Three, bitter envying and strife. Four, changing their teaching to please men. Five, using crafty words of deceit. Six, unruly and empty talkers. Seven, selling things for personal gain. And eight, they don't demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. So he, here is some, this is not an exhaustive list. There are more characteristics that we have in the Bible that teach us how to identify a false prophet. Here's just a good way for you to start. So as Christians today, what are we supposed to do about all this? There's all these different teachings. There's all these different things that we could be following, that we could be leading us astray. So what are we supposed to do? Well, number one, test everything you hear against the Scriptures. Everything, including here in this room. You should be testing everything that you hear against the Scriptures. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Try every spirit. And only believe those that we can truly say it matches up with God's Word. Remember, it's either from heaven or it's of men. If it's from heaven, take it, accept it, apply it to the best of your ability. If it's from men, reject it. Everything that you've got. Test them against the Scriptures. The second thing that you'll do is if you find an error, try and correct that teacher, just like Aquila and Priscilla did. In Acts chapter 18, verse 26, it says, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, talking about Apollos, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them privately and expounded unto him the word of God more perfectly. That's what Aquila and Priscilla did. They were known to help these people. They helped Apollos. Now, the, the great benefit that could come from this is what did Apollos do after? He took that further education. He took that teaching, and he continued to go on and teach people now the proper way. And it says, and he mightily convinced the Jews. He was able to help so many other people. Our responsibility is if we find someone that's a false teacher, first, let's try to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're doing it unintentionally. Let's try to help that person. And then we're going to learn real quick if they're humble enough to forsake their past teachings and truly teach the Word of God, or if they're not, if they're going to reject what God's Word says and continue on to go teach. So we hope and we pray that they will reject what they were teaching and pick up and teach the true Word of God. We know that that's not always going to be the case. So if it's not the case, then you go on to number three. Avoid those who refuse to submit to God's Word. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18 again says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. We're supposed to mark these people if they're truly not willing to turn and follow and teach God's Word, 
but they're going to teach their own thing for their own personal gain, for their own belly, to grow their own personal kingdom instead of God's kingdom. We have to mark them and avoid them. That's the third thing. The fourth thing is continually study so we can rightly divide the word of truth. Remember, false prophets aren't going anywhere. They're always going to be around us. So we always have to be continually growing and educating ourselves so we can test against the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Profane and vain babblings, we're going to continue to get these things that are against God's word, that are continually going to deceive, they're going to lead to more ungodliness and more people not following after God's Word. What we need to do is make sure we're continually studying God's Word so that we can rightly divide the Word of truth. We can see those profane and vain babblings and test it against the Scriptures. If it is profane and vain, what are we supposed to do with it? Shun it. Get rid of it. We don't have anything to do with it. So instead, we only follow after what God's Word says. And then finally... Make sure we're not being too, tossed to and fro with every doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into hell in all things, which is the head, even Christ. What we have to realize as Christians today is there is always going to be other doctrines there's always going to be other Gospels. There's always going to be other teachings. And we have to make sure we're not being tossed to and fro. We're not just hearing something and saying, oh, that sounds great. We're going to follow that. And then the next day, hearing something else. Oh, that sounds great. I'm going to follow that. Instead, test against the Scriptures. Don't be tossed to and fro. But instead, in verse 15, speak the truth in love. Grow up into Christ. Be a mature adult. Grow up into His Word and don't be like children being tossed to and fro. Speak the truth in love. So these are the things that we're supposed to do as Christians. Test against the Scriptures. Try to help that false teacher if you find him to be false. Avoid those who refuse to submit to God's Word. Continually study and grow and learn in all things that we have. And finally, as false prophets are something that we're going to have to do with, deal with for the rest of the life, we have to be constantly equipping ourselves and teaching others around us how to identify these false teachers to stand against it. As Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, Paul says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry." This is Paul's charge to Timothy, and to us, it's our charge today. Preach the Word of God. Be instant in season and out of season. That phrase, be instant, means to stand upon it. Preach the Word of God and stand upon that Word of God. In season means when it's convenient. 
Out of season means when it's not convenient. What Paul is telling Timothy to do and God's telling us to do today is preach the Word of God, stand upon it no matter what. Stand upon it when it's easy. Stand upon it when it's hard. You preach the Word of God and you stand upon it. It says the time will come. They won't endure sound doctrine. Well, the time's here. It's been here for a long time. People will not endure sound doctrine, but some will. Some will endure sound doctrine. Some still want the truth, and that's who we're looking for. That's who we're preaching the Word for, to try to get those people to show them humility and help them to follow after the Word of God. And we have to endure afflictions. It's going to be hard sometimes. There's going to be false prophets and false teachers out there who try to cause afflictions to us that are preaching the truth. It's going to happen. And Paul is telling Timothy and God's telling us today, endure those afflictions. Stay faithful to the end. Keep going and preach the Word. Just stand upon that Word. That's all we have to do. The great thing about that is we don't have to know the answers to every argument out there because all the arguments, they're never stopping. They're constantly coming up with new ways to try to get people off track. We don't have to know all that. We don't even have to care why they're doing all that because we have the Word of God and we can just stand upon it. All we have to do is test what they say against the Scriptures. If it matches, we'll take it. If it doesn't match, we reject it. It's simple as that. So preach the Word of God and stand upon that Word of God. And we finally, we make sure that we know God has given us everything we need. He's given us all the answers, and it's our responsibility to stay diligent. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, our Je and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Going down to verse 10, Wherefore the rather... Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. My encouragement to you is the same encouragement that we have in 2 Peter. We have all the answers. We give everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility to take that knowledge, to take those things that we've been taught, and give diligence to make sure that our calling and election is sure. And that's constant. It's a constant battle. Give diligence to that. Test everything you hear against the Scriptures. Make sure that your faith is strongly rooted in God's Word and learn in that, grow in that, and test everything against that. When you do that, you'll never fall. We don't have to worry about the false prophets leading us astray when we're given diligence to our own faith. And our responsibility is to go out and help others. So I pray this lesson has been an encouragement to you. I pray that you'll take these things and you'll see these red flags and these characteristics of a false prophet and they'll cause you to stop. They'll cause you to take the things that they're saying to test them against their scriptures so you'll continually grow in your faith and knowledge in the Lord. If there's anybody here this morning that you've been hearing things, you've been hearing false teachers and you're not sure, maybe you need help testing those against the scriptures, we can help you with that. If you'd like to grow your faith, if you have questions, if you need any help with that, that's what we're here for. Or if you'd like to turn over your life to Christ and truly follow after Him as the one true Lord and Savior of the entire world, then we can help you do that as well. If there's one of either class that you need the help from the church for any reason, just come and have a seat on the front pew while we stand and sing the song. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.